Welcome to The Conversation at AirSafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. This is a special edition of the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of a television interview to show you the difference of what ends up on television and what ends up on the cutting room floor. On March 3, 2016, I was interviewed by King 5 Television of Seattle about the discovery of a suspected part from MH370 that was found on a beach in Mozambique. I had a roughly 15-minute interview with one of the journalists from King 5, and a small portion of that ended up in a broadcast later that evening. In the section that follows, you hear the approximately three-minute-long segment that appeared that night, which included some comments from me. What follows that is a much longer, roughly 15-minute interview that had the full set of questions from King 5. I put this podcast together to give you an idea of the kind of subtlety and detail that goes into a background interview that very often will be left out of a final broadcast. This is also to illustrate the key differences between a pre-recorded interview and one that's live. While there are some challenges in doing a live interview, especially trying to boil down the essential points in a short uh, five to eight second burst, the biggest advantage is that there's usually no editing. That said, in my opinion, I think King Five did an excellent job with their piece. I'm recording this podcast on March 12, 2016, a little over two weeks after the part was first found. The investigation is still continuing, and at present, it's not known if that piece was actually from MH370. First, the audio portion of the interview that was broadcast on March 3rd. Newer 10, a former Boeing engineer, says the piece of debris found by a Seattle man in Mozambique could be a key piece of the puzzle when it comes to the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. The aircraft vanished almost two years ago with 239 people on board. King 5's Heather Graff is here now with new analysis of one of the world's biggest mysteries. Well, by now, the photos of that debris found by Seattle resident Blaine Gibson have been seen all over the world. And so today, we took them to an aviation expert who is all too familiar with the Boeing 777 and the search for MH370. The entire aviation industry is now talking about the discovery made on a sandbank off eastern Africa. This could possibly be from Malaysia 370. We don't know yet. A conversation that began during a visit to Mozambique when Seattle resident Blaine Gibson found a piece of debris that may belong to missing Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. My heart was thumping, there was anticipation, there was excitement, there was feeling. And today, the conversation continued. Well, certainly, there have been many false alarms. With a former Seattle resident and former Boeing engineer turned airline safety expert, Todd Curtis. But when I saw the photographs of it, what I saw was consistent with the kind of part, the kind of uh, structure we'd see in an aircraft. During a Skype interview with King 5, Curtis stopped short of saying the possible plane part found by Gibson is indeed from MH370, but he says the shape of the debris does provide some clues. It's possible it could have been in a, in a violent situation, that is, uh, hitting the water, hitting another object. Curtis also points out that Gibson's connection to Seattle is only one reason. People in this city are following the story so closely. Because a lot of the people who would be investigating this, or who would be analyzing this piece, obviously live there. He says Boeing will be working closely with authorities to help determine whether this piece of debris is indeed from a Boeing 777, and specifically from the only known missing 777, and the most talked about 777 in the world. 
the only one that hasn't been totally accounted for is MH370. Now, at least one unnamed U.S. official has said the photos do appear to show debris from the tail section of a Boeing 777, but the aviation expert we spoke with stopped short of that conclusion, at least for now. Todd Curtis told us it's important to give Australian authorities and also Boeing the time to thoroughly investigate. In the next portion, you'll hear about a 15-minute segment where there is a question and answer session between myself and one of the reporters from King 5. Okay, so um, before we talk about this discovery that was made over the weekend and made headlines yesterday, first tell me a little bit about um, your background, because um, I understand you were also a former Boeing engineer, is that right? That's correct. I was a, a Boeing engineer in the safety engineering department for several years, uh, starting in the early 1990s until 2000. And prior to that, I was a flight test engineer in the Air Force and had an a, a, a academic background as an engineer. Uh, since leaving Boeing, I've been running airsafe.com. Actually, I was running airsafe.com from about 1996. Uh, July marks its 20th year. And one of the things we do there is just provide uh, very basic, very straightforward information about aviation safety and security. And of course, for an event like MH370, we've put out uh, quite a bit of background information about the investigation, some of the issues around the investigation. And of course, the events of the last few days will be a subject of uh, uh, some of the new inputs we put into the site. So tell me your reaction when you heard the news that this piece of debris, possibly from MH370, was discovered in Mozambique. Well, certainly. There have been many false alarms, including uh, uh, several events in, in Southeast Asia where flotsam was thought to be from the aircraft but was not. And, of course, there is the event from July of last year where there was a flap around found on Reunion Island. So of course I was a bit skeptical when I first heard the information, but when I saw the photographs of it, what I saw was consistent with the kind of part, the kind of uh, structure we'd see in an aircraft. As to whether it came from a 777 and more specifically MH370, it's now in the hands of the Australian authorities who along with Boeing will determine that. But so far, most of what I've seen seems consistent with an aircraft part. And so you've seen the photos. Describe for me, um, with just using your expertise, that piece that we're seeing in, in the photos. Well, again, from looking at the photographs only, it looked to be a part of a larger piece of the aircraft, relatively flat part of the aircraft, something that would be consistent with a trailing edge device, such as an elevator or trailing edge on the wing. And it had embedded within it the stenciled word, no step, which, of course, is a fairly common thing you would see on the top of wings and other surfaces where people might walk on it. But certain parts of it, for example, a fiberglass part, might not be strong enough to support a human being, so you would have no step written on it. Whether this was from an aircraft, again, that will take further analysis, but certainly it has the lightweight appearance of a piece of aircraft structure. I was talking to my colleague, Glenn Farley, and he had referenced, you know, the, the shape and he said, you know, that may, what some experts are saying is that may speak to, um, you know, the, the violence or the impact of whatever crash this might be a part of. Can you speak to that? Does the shape tell us anything about what this piece might have been through? Uh, certainly. This piece was not intact. It looked to have been torn apart from a larger piece of uh, structure. Whether that would happen in something that's consistent with an impact on an ocean 
on a, on a water surface as you would get in a, a ditching in the ocean, or whether or not this happened subsequent to this coming off of its larger structure remains to be seen. Uh, again, this was discovered roughly 1,500 miles from where the Flaparon was discovered and on the other side of Madagascar uh, Island. So it's possible that what you saw was the effect of something else other than an air crash. For example, it could have been hit by a boat propeller or some other device. That is why it's a very, very important that the Australians or other authorities look very closely at this uh, device, at this piece of the aircraft, to see whether or not the uh, rips and the tears that are in there are consistent with what you would see with an aircraft hitting the ground or hitting the water. Now about the part, or at least the photographs of that part, the one thing that did strike me was a relative lack of any sort of marine growth on it. As you may recall from the flapper on from last year, there was a fairly obvious marine growth on several parts of the, of the piece that was recovered. I didn't see anything as obvious on this piece. This could speak to the piece being exposed to the air for some time, or could speak to the piece floating in a completely different part of the ocean. And of course, the other uh, option is perhaps this didn't come from a flight MH370 at all, which means it wasn't floating in the ocean for a full two years. Perhaps it came from some other aircraft or some other manufactured object. Again, uh, I'll await the uh, determination of the Australian authorities before I go any further on that one. But um, uh, that shape, I mean, could potentially speak to it being in a violent crash? It's possible it could have been in a, in a violent situation, that is, uh, hitting the water, hitting another object, or something, some external force causing this to be torn apart. Now, what didn't seem obvious to me, and again, I'm no expert on, on explosives, but it looked as though this piece were still, was still relatively flat. That is, whatever caused it to be torn from its uh, larger structure. It wasn't something that was an explosion on one side of the uh, flat surface or the other, but rather something that tore this piece from wherever it came from. And am I correct that there, MH370 is the only known missing 777 in the world? That's correct. Every other 777 that has uh, been taken out of service, it's been accounted for. There was an Egypt Air a 777 that caught fire some years ago, and of course, MH17 later on in 2014 was shot down out of the sky. And beyond that, and the aircraft taken out of service, the only one that hasn't been totally accounted for is MH370. So is it fair to say then that uh, if and when authorities identified that part as coming from the 777, we'll be able to pretty definitively say it's from MH370? Actually, one would be able to say it uh, came from a, a 777. Of course, being a, a model aircraft with uh, over a thousand in existence and with spare parts in various places around the world, it's always possible that an authentic 777 part could have been acquired from some source and put on that beach. And again, I'm not saying that was the case, but until there are two things that are done, A, the piece is definitively identified as being from a 777, and specifically from MH370, then I'll uh, uh, no longer consider this to be a mystery as far as where this piece came from. And you mentioned the mystery. Why do you think there's been just so much interest surrounding the MH370 case? I mean, you know, there's been plane crashes before, but I mean, when this hit the news yesterday, everyone was talking about it. Why do you think that is? 
Well, it goes back to the origin of the story. This was an aircraft that disappeared under circumstances that were mysterious then and equally mysterious now. And of course, you had over 200 people killed in this event as well, who came from several countries. And given the nature of social media and the Internet, this became a worldwide story within hours. And the level of attention brought to bear on this was without precedent. You had well over half a dozen countries with ships, planes, other technologies being thrown into this search. And still, the only thing that has been absolutely identified as being from that aircraft is that one flapper on, on Reunion Island. And although there are uh, efforts going on right now to map the ocean bottom where they think the aircraft may be lying, so far there's no evidence of this being on the bottom of the Indian Ocean. So one would hope that this will be resolved in some form or fashion soon. But it's very likely, it's possible rather, that it may be years or decades before there's a further resolution to this. And that's why there's uh, almost that sense of, I don't want to use the word excitement, but every time a possible piece of debris is found. Absolutely. And the emotional uh, part of this and the social media side of part of this aside, there is a, a more engineering concern here. Uh, this aircraft went off course and disappeared for some reason. Until there is a thorough investigation, one would hope from the remains of the aircraft and any information from this aircraft, there's still the possibility that whatever happened to MH370 could be something that could happen to other 777s or to other aircraft for that matter. So it's very, very important for the safety of the system as a whole that this mystery be resolved in some form. Can you speak to, so yeah, this is kind of, this mystery has people all over the world talking, but um, in a city like Seattle, where, you know, Boeing airplanes are built, there's even that much more interest in this story? Well, certainly there's a lot of interest for professional reasons, because a lot of the people who would be investigating this, or who would be analyzing this piece, obviously live there. And also there's a storehouse of knowledge, both in the company and within the minds of people who've worked on the project over the years, who might be uh, brought in to uh, resolve this. And of course, aviation and manufacturing of aircraft is something that will be a very core business in Seattle for some years to come. So anything that can be learned from this entire saga of MH370 will very likely be incorporated into future designs and even future improvements to current designs when it comes to Boeing aircraft. So when you heard that the guy who kind of stumbled on this in Mozambique had a Seattle connection as well, and is apparently from Seattle, has a home in Queen Anne. What was your reaction to that? Well, it's one of those things where uh, you can't make this up, and every once in a while, a one in a million uh, opportunity or, or circumstance does indeed happen. Uh, who would have thought that someone who specifically, from what I understand, has spent months and years and much of his own money to literally physically go around the Indian Ocean to various places to resolve this uh, mystery may have stumbled ac across a key piece of the puzzle. Again, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, my last question, from your experience as a Boeing engineer, um, can you speak sort of generally about um, once this discovery is made, you know, we, we know that Boeing was immediately notified. So what are those Boeing engineers and investigators going to be looking for and looking at as they're examining photos and then eventually this actual piece? Well, initially what they're going to be looking at is the same information we all have, which is essentially the photos. 
and from that it may be possible to determine if this is consistent with a part of a Boeing aircraft. As far as identifying the specific aircraft, if there's any other identifying information on there, for example, a part number on a bolt, anything that could uh, narrow the search, this is something that will be uh, done as quickly as possible. More generally, uh, if it turns out that this is from MH370, this will be another actual objective piece of data that could feed into the other research that's going on. For example, the oceanic drift models to determine where pieces of the aircraft may have ended up. Uh, if this turns out to be from that aircraft, then this will adjust those models and perhaps it will open up new areas for investigation, literally physical areas where there may be eyes on the ground or eyes on the seashore looking for something for the, from this aircraft. And the other things that may happen from this is yet to be determined. If in the course of the investigation, it turns out that there's something about this event, something about this flight that was completely unexpected by anyone in the industry, this could lead to a very long, perhaps years long process of reviewing uh, manufacturing procedures, flying procedures, regulations, and figuring out a way to incorporate any necessary changes, not just in 777 aircraft, but in aircraft around the world. Any guesses on how long it will take them to determine if this is indeed from MH370? Once the uh, Australians have the uh, physical uh, part in their hands, it may be a matter of days before the uh, required expertise is, is on hand to uh, look at the materials, look at any part numbers, even analyze the materials used to see if this could either be narrowed down to being an aircraft part, a 777 aircraft part, and an MH-70 aircraft part. How involved would you say Boeing is going to be in that process? Well, it depends at this point on the Australian authorities who are in charge of large parts of the investigation and are working with the Malaysian authorities to uh, resolve the issue. But of course, the expertise on the physical aircraft will be in the hands of both Boeing and whatever subcontractors may have been involved in creating this particular part. Anything I haven't asked that you think is important and would want to add or want people to know? That the social aspects of this, that the, uh, the public's attention about this, of course with the anniversary being just a few days away, will certainly be peaked, uh, be stoked by this. But it doesn't change the fact that the resolution of this won't be done by armchair analysts, it'll be done by people who have the expertise, in this case the Australians. The people will be key in resolving this may be the experts who are actually on those ships searching the ocean bottom, or it could be someone with a sharp set of eyes who happens to see something that's the least bit unusual. And my message to them, whether they be in the Indian Ocean or searching through data online, if you see something that looks like it might be relevant to the investigation, make the effort to get in touch with some official person, be it uh, uh, the Civil Aviation Organization in your nation, be it local authorities if you find something on a beat somewhere, and get whatever information you have in the hands of someone who can use them. I hope you found some value in listening to those two sections. The one observation I have when doing live interviews is the fact that even though it has the looser form that usually comes with a long talk show type format, the kind of situation where you might have 10 or 15 minutes with a guest, especially in a radio interview, to go deeply into a subject, I have to keep in mind that ultimately, the goal of the reporter is to put only small sections of it into the final outcome. So even though I did go into some detail on some of the questions posed by the reporter, I also kept in mind 
that the high point should be stated as clearly and as succinctly as possible. It's an ongoing process. I was by no means perfect in that interview, and I probably won't be perfect in the next interview. But I hope that by listening to this podcast, those of you who do currently give interviews, or who aspire to give interviews, can learn something from this and do better than I've ever done. For more information on the loss of MH370, please visit mh370.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.